Coming up on Launch Stories. Look, there is no value in the idea. There is only value in the execution. And, and even, I would even say more, if it's so easy to duplicate your idea that there is a risk, if you tell me your idea that I would duplicate it, then probably there are no competitive barriers. And it's best that somebody duplicates your idea very early on so that you don't lose your time and your money uh, investing three, four, five years of your life in, in it. Welcome to Launch Stories, the global startup podcast. I'm your host, Zoltan Vardy. The Launch Stories podcast gives you a taste of what it takes to launch a global startup. Listen to founders share their personal ups and downs, their professional wins and losses, and the lessons they've learned along the way to building an international company. You'll also hear from accelerators and investors that support entrepreneurs along their journey around the world and what they think is the recipe for startup success. So join me on Launch Stories, get inspired and learn the ingredients of a successful global business. My guest today is Jonas de Komen, co-founder and CEO of Spot, a marketing and advertising platform that helps brands link their content strategy to their product catalog by adding interactivity to videos and images across all their channels. The company was named a rising star in Deloitte's Technology Fast 50 competition and was also voted Belgian Startup of the Year twice, most recently in 2020. Today, the company boasts more than 2,000 customers in 90 countries around the world. I'll be speaking to Jonas about what it's like to trade in a blue-chip corporate marketing career for life as a startup entrepreneur, and about the leadership challenges he's faced while building his company. Let's listen to Jonas's launch story. Hi, Jonas. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Zoltan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I've known you for a couple of years, and I just thought we could uh, we'd start a little bit to talk about your entrepreneurial journey, which is somewhat yeah. unusual, I'd say. So there's a popular image of a tech entrepreneur, right? Maybe somebody in Silicon Valley, 20-something uh, young guy, usually some technology background, has a big idea, wants to change the world, has very little business experience, but takes his business to market and is successful. Your story is a little bit different, right? You spent 10 years as a senior manager in blue chip companies, first at Unilever, later at Coca-Cola, where you ultimately held a European marketing role. Why did you decide to leave that corporate world behind and become an entrepreneur? Yeah, the question is very close to my personal why. Uh, my personal why, uh, which is a bit kind of my like my, uh, my my compass, my north star is it's a why of personal growth. So as a person, I'm very curious. Uh, my background is also quite a typical starting in companies at Unilever Coca-Cola. I'm a biotech engineer uh, specialized in biotech biotechnology. So you are a tech guy at heart then? Biotech, yeah, indeed. So I'm a tech guy at heart. <laughs> And actually, I've, I've always been driven uh, to jump into those areas that are like black holes to me. Uh, when I when I graduated as a biotech engineer, I didn't have any economics or, or marketing. And so it was very appealing to me to start at Unilever. And so little by little, uh, Unilever, of course, is investing lots in its people. Um, so I got the whole marketing training, which is so typical to Unilever. And that actually uh, turned me into a marketeer. But like, um, if you ask me like... Uh, what 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 is driving you through life it's certainly that curiosity uh, that drive to go outside of the comfort zone and to uh, be attracted by things that seem very far from uh, your strengths and to learn quickly and to become good in into those areas and so that was the same after uh, 10 years in marketing uh, five years unilever and a bit more than five around six years at coca-cola I felt that my learning curve was flattening out and I was attracted by, let's say, 
the entrepreneurship. I also saw a problem in the market. So in my in my last two years at Coca-Cola, I was working for Coca-Cola Red, um, one of the bigger brands. Uh, I was responsible for the teens plan. So um, I was dealing lots with digital, digital marketing, working with um, a lot of uh, agencies in, in London, New York, Zone, uh, RGA uh, there. And I felt that all these agencies were struggling with a similar type of challenge, which is how can we help brands um, moving from push marketing into pull marketing? Um, how can we find a new model that goes past this industrialized persuasion, uh, this industrialized persuasion that made companies big like Unilever, Coca-Cola? And Jonas, did you actually leave Coke with the intention of starting a company? Was that the primary motivation? Yeah. So I actually started the company on, on the side whilst uh, working at Coke, like, uh -huh. uh, let's say, the ideation phase. To be very honest, I did an executive MBA during th that time. So um, also during that executive MBA, there was this kind of framework where there were advisors that were, uh, let's say, uh, very easy to approach. Uh, there were founders from other companies that I could uh, reach out to uh, because of this, this framework. And um, we won. Uh, the global new venture challenge at uh, chicago boot uh, the polsky center uh, back in okay. the days um, and that's that's uh, let's say first place at the global new venture challenge was actually a kickstart uh, to raise uh, funds um, so you had a bit of inspiration then from your uh, business school experience to to set out on your own yeah and this and inspiration and also and also the money the first seed money came from students like uh, at an evening at school when we won the global adventure challenge um somebody just said like jonas what do you need to jump uh, and i said like <laughs> i need this amount of money uh -huh. and then other people were saying i want to chip in as well and and like we raced on that first evening we raced around 1 million euros uh, which actually allowed us to, uh, to get things going Fantastic. That sounds like it's a great uh, starting point, uh, lifting off of your business. In what areas did your corporate background help you to start building Spot? And where did you find yourself lacking in terms of your experience to that? Um, it certainly helped uh, understanding how uh, the marketing landscape worked. Um, it certainly helped uh, understanding the type of budgets uh, in marketing the, and understanding the, the needs, um, the importance of content marketing. The lack of offering, or let's say the lack of the availability of offering a full funnel uh, linked to content marketing. So all these things uh, were certainly a big help uh, in defining the problem, understanding total addressable markets, creating go-to-market strategy, etc. Um, I did have to unlearn a lot. Uh, unlearn a lot. Uh, yeah, unlearn a lot uh -huh. indeed, because like uh, there are certain habits that... Um, appear to be a strength in the corporate world that are a weakness uh, in, in the startup world. And, and one of these strengths is that uh, I was very good in bringing people together. Um, I was very good conceptually, uh, but from an executional perspective, I had to learn a lot. So um, I had to really to dig in to get things done uh, and, and just to um, say to, to end up with both feet in the mud. So on the one hand, you always end up with both feet in the mud because you jump out of this golden cage. And like for the first 18 months, we didn't pay ourselves any wage. So you're in the mud uh, from a financial perspective. And what was that like from a day-to-day -day standpoint, all of a sudden being in a position where you weren't getting that monthly text message indicating that you had gotten uh, your salary transferred to your bank account? Yeah, it was stressful uh, because uh, back then I had two kids. Uh, my wife has a different risk profile. So um he was certainly putting pressure on me to, let's say, to um, to get things going financially. Um, and and at that moment, she was pregnant from a third child, so that that only added to the to the stress. Uh -huh. 
So it was certainly a difficult period. And, and as you know, in the beginning of any company, you need to pivot, you need to search. You, it's very difficult to build any type of business plans because you don't yet know what will be the product market fit, what is the exact addressable market because you have not yet found that product market fit. So let's say you have not yet found the ideal customer, uh, let alone uh, talk about scalability and business cases. Um, so the first 18 months were very difficult. What were the areas where you figured like you had to, from a skill standpoint, that you had to pick up in, in this new setup that you had created for yourself? Uh, from a skills perspective, it was mainly, uh, let's say, the project thinking, uh, which was something that was done, say, working at Unilever Coca-Cola by partners uh, with whom I was working, agencies, etc. Um, so um, uh, breaking down a bigger program into smaller problems and putting those smaller problems onto a time scale and allocating tasks to different persons in the team. That, that was certainly, let's say, not, not my strength, to say the least, uh, uh, rather a weakness. And so I've also accepted that that is still not a strength of mine. So I've surrounded myself with people who are very good in that aspect. Uh, and of course, uh, I needed to become average, right? Was that because you had built your career in an environment where there were plenty of other people to fill those gaps? And that when you got out of that environment, suddenly you have to learn a bunch of new things. You had to fill those gaps yourself. Yeah, like um, that's also what I call what I call unlearn, right? So um, you learn you learn to do business in a certain way. Uh, you learn to do business with lots of presentations. You learn to do business with lots of influencing. You learn to do business with lots of inspiration. Uh, so those were all the things that I could do very well. But you you don't learn to do business actually uh, setting up timelines. You don't learn to do business keeping people accountable and and actually using sticks and stones to make <laughs> them accountable. Also from an yeah from a talent perspective as a startup. You're not able to recruit, you're not able to pay the same kind of salaries, which implies that you're not able to recruit the same type of people. So you need to also to be able to work with uh, a different type of people. And then, so also there, that was a learning curve for me to, um, to learn to work with different styles of people, different personalities of people um, and, and different strengths. Uh, because working in a marketing team at Coca-Cola, they strive for diversity, but still you see the similar type of strengths with everybody working at, at those type of companies. I see that you're a guest lecturer in various university business programs, and in describing your talk called My Entrepreneurial Journey, you actually wrote this. You said, there is no value in an idea. There is only value in the execution of an idea. In order to execute properly, you need the right people, the right processes, and the right culture. Is this a realization you came to while building Spot, or is this something you believed in even prior to setting out on your entrepreneurial journey? No, it's certainly a realization I, I got uh, whilst building spots. Like, if you would have talked to me back in the days in 2015, um, I would have been stressing a lot about, uh, let's say, confidentiality and potentially not even talking about the ID, etc. If an entrepreneur now comes to me and says, like, you need to sign an NDA before I can tell you what we're working on, I very often tell him, like, uh, look, there is no value in the ID. There is only value in the execution. And, and even, I would even say more, if it's so easy to duplicate your idea that there is a risk, if you tell me your idea that I would duplicate it, then probably there are no competitive barriers and it's best that somebody duplicates your ID very early on so that you don't lose your time and your money uh, investing three, four, five years of your life in, in it. That's a really great point. I didn't even think about it that way. What you've described actually is part of the the principles that I use in my work with startup entrepreneurs as a, as a mentor. It's really about how do you take the best of the corporate thinking and combine it with the best of entrepreneurial execution. And I think those those two worlds on their own, I found to be very unproductive in many ways. But when you take the best of those two worlds, you take the structured thinking, the, the strategic thinking that comes with a corporate background, and you apply that through a dynamic execution that comes naturally to an entrepreneur, you actually get some really great results. And, and that's something I'm sure that you've probably experienced as well in your last six years as an entrepreneur. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I've also, let's say, um, I've had to train my bullshit rather, uh, because that's <laughs> something that I did not learn at, at Unilever and Coca-Cola, because all the people that came through HR, let's say, were screened for uh, through this HR bullshit rather. <laughs> Suddenly, you need to do that yourself. And, and so I've, I've made lots of mistakes hiring the wrong people, keeping them too long. So I've, I've been nurturing that bullshit rather. And I've also learned to... Um, I have slowly and fire quickly, uh, even though it's still painful. But like uh, I've learned that um, if it doesn't feel well in the first uh, three, four weeks, then it probably will not feel well in the in the three or four months either. So I just uh, let's say hire slowly. Uh, and if it's not a good fit, uh, fire quickly. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. You know, when we first met back in 2016, Spot was in its early days. I recall your product at the time was targeting the TV industry, if I remember correctly. And I believe you were looking for ways to make TV programming interactive for viewers by integrating brands. Since then, you've pivoted and you actually mentioned how at the beginning stages of any startup, you, you're constantly looking for different directions that will ultimately lead to product market fit. What was the evolution of Spot? What is it today? And why did you need the shift in approach? Actually, to me, it's a nice demonstration of how your brain can limit opportunities. So let me expand on that. It was our choice back in the days to define content as the content being produced by broadcasters. And what we saw is that this broadcasting industry, and then we are talking 2016, 2015, they were floating in cash. They were not seeing any urgency. So there was not yet this decrease uh, and, and money that was um, flowing out of broadcasting into um, the US, uh, out of the European broadcasting into the US, being Google, Facebook. And so there was no sense of urgency and it was a very risk averse sector and the total decibel market was quite small. Broadcasting is, is big, but like in the bigger picture, the vertical that we are navigating in today is about 100 times bigger than broadcasting. We've redefined content and we came to the conclusion that in the new world, everybody is using the language of image or video as a way to build a relationship with his or her audience, that every company becomes a broadcaster. Every company will start using video and images as a way to communicate with its audience. So by redefining content from something that is unique from broadcasters to something that everybody that is doing business online uh, uses as a tool to build trust with their audience, you suddenly open up the market and you make the market 100, even 1,000 times bigger. Basically, you, you, you make every brand a broadcaster, effectively. Correct. And the good news is that every brand that is selling things online is making content with the purpose of selling more. So being able to use technology, to use Spot as an interactive platform on top of their existing content strategy for a marginal cost to increase engagement, increase conversion, and increase collection of data it's a kind of a no-brainer. Um, and so knowing that today every e-commerce brand has a budget in marketing that is allocated to content and knowing that uh, cost for spots starts at uh, 29 euros per month and goes for business packages to 1,000 euros per month, it's a marginal cost compared to the cost of creating the content. And so that's that has proven to be the most important pivot for us. It's not restricting your own thinking by linking content to a certain vertical but opening up that thinking and looking into the future towards uh, where the market is going to and the importance of visual content uh, in that evolution. Can you give me a very simple, easy to understand example of how a customer of yours would use Spot for their marketing purposes? Uh, it ranges from IKEA, where uh, IKEA is, 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 is uh, launching new videos every year in September. 
Um, these videos are aimed towards students that are uh, going towards uh, Leuven, uh, Brussels, uh, Antwerp, Ghent, uh, London, Paris uh, to study. And uh, they very often go living alone, so they need inspiration for how to decorate their rooms. Um, and of course, the decoration is then done with IKEA furniture so that they, um, they get the inspiration of how to, to create nice rooms with affordable uh, stuff. And so what we do there is um, we are an interactive layer on top of those videos so that uh, students uh, don't need to remember uh, those uh, Swedish names, which are <laughs> very hard to remember. Um, so they can just, uh, let's say, discover the items in the video. And also the price is indicated so that uh, when they uh, click on certain items in the video, they can very easily see that they might think that this bet would cost them 250 euros. But actually at IKEA, you have a bet of around uh, 90 euros. So there is an aspect of uh, affordability. You can easily discover the price of the items that are of your interest and you can easily uh, discover the names uh, of the items. And you can, in general, uh, go from video to basket. So from within the video, you can just click the items into your basket. So you're gaining in the conversion funnel about three steps, which uh, uh, leads to an increase of conversion depending from client to client, between 10 and 25%. Well, believe it or not, I actually furnished my first university apartment with IKEA. This was many, many years ago. Um, and I think I would have benefited heavily from this uh, service at the time, if I think about how many times I had to go out to the actual physical location to choose the uh, the furniture that I that I used in my in my flat. Yeah, maybe maybe just to build on that, uh, Zoltan, that wasn't only for you, but there is a huge trend in society that is uh, going away from intentional e-commerce or intent e-commerce into discovery e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And so um, our technology fits into that trend uh, because if you go from intentional e-commerce, which is uh, you go to Amazon, you type in white shirts and you find this boring list of 100 different white shirts, not knowing which one to choose or say about you and you find a picture of an attractive model and you say, I want to look like him, uh, then it's very easier to choose that white shirt. And you will probably also buy the trousers and the belt because it fits nicely and you have a bigger average order value. You buy the outfit rather than just the product. Indeed. Uh -huh. So I know that you have several thousand customers in many, many countries around the world. Talk a little bit about how you've built this international footprint through either direct sales opportunities or through inbound marketing. What, what, what have you done in order to build that sort of broad international client base? Yeah, like for us, the pivotal moment has been the strategic choice of uh, moving from outbound to inbound and the link uh, of product-led growth. Of course, you cannot do from day one, right? Because in the beginning, let's be honest, you have very limited resources. So your product is a kind of uh, stitching together different technologies and you need to keep it a black box because you don't want your client to actually see how much stitching has been done to, to, to build this product. <laughs> the skeletons are still in the closet and you don't want to let those out quite yet, yeah? Indeed, indeed. So you can only go for a product-led growth as, as soon as uh, the company is mature enough and the product is mature enough. And you have actually built a scalable process so that uh, everything from customer success to acquisition to uh, upselling uh, can be automated. But like once that was ready, and that took us about four years and a half uh, in order to get that whole machine running and to get the organization structured in such a way, we actually uh, synchronized that timing together with a launch in US. And that launch in the US was with a US partner called uh, AppSumo. And that launch, uh, of course, you need to give a commission uh, back to that partner. But that launch has, uh, uh, let's say, allowed us to increase awareness in other parts of the world where we've got nobody uh, based in US. So the whole team is currently based in, in, in Europe. Uh, not in Belgium, we are a remote team, but still in Europe. Uh, the answer to your question is, uh, it's the choice for product-led growth uh, linked to an inbound marketing strategy in combination with a partner in the US and Canada 
that has actually generated uh, a big chunk of the 2000 tickets. I see. If you think back over the six year journey, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in order to arrive to where you are today? The biggest challenge is governance and the shareholders agreement. We used to not pay any attention to that. And so at a certain moment, we had a shareholder, like in the beginning, you start with two, right? Um, and then if you have a shareholder agreement with two, it's logic that there are terms in it, like everybody needs to agree on the point or it is a veto right, et cetera. At a certain moment, uh, we went from, uh, from two shareholders to 15 shareholders and we forgot to change the shareholders agreement. And so at a certain moment, uh, when there was another capital round, uh, one of those 15 persons was not agreeing with a new person entering into the capital. And so that person had actually the legal right to block everything. And so at that moment, I understood the importance of legal. I understood the importance of having a good lawyer and paying, let's say, foreseeing budget for that, which I did not do at the very beginning. Um, and so my biggest challenge was to solve that issue. Uh, which actually was a very expensive mistake. So we needed to buy that person out and blah, blah. That was for me one of the, the biggest lessons is also the boring stuff, which is like the legal stuff, uh, the governance stuff, uh, the, the the shareholders agreements, etc. cetera. Uh, do know that this is the kind of the heart of your company. So um, even though it's, it's not fun to do and it's a long text, uh, please make sure that you spend sufficient time, uh, get some experts uh, looking over your shoulders. And even when you have uh, lawyers helping you, make sure that you stay in the lead because uh, it's your company and uh, lawyers are just uh, advisors, but uh, you are in the end accountable and responsible for that uh, for that document. So what's interesting there is is that if I ask this question of various guests, you often get, you know, building the brand or creating, you know, the right sales strategy or, you know, all this kind of real world business stuff. And actually what you're saying is the biggest challenge you've had to face is, you know, legal boring stuff, which actually uh, has turned into a critical part of your entire story. Yeah. And like uh, at that moment, the company was that. Like it was, there was no longer a company uh, because that person could block everything and we, we, we needed the money. So there was no more money on the books. Uh, we were even in debt. So if, if we wouldn't have found a solution at that moment, uh, we would no longer have been here uh, today. So that shows that a little detail, a little sentence uh, in, in, in a contract uh, can, can be a deal breaker. Um, so that's why I, I want to share that story because like, uh, and that's of course a very unique story. Every, every company will have their own unique stories. But that's certainly a point that was critical for uh, for us and for myself also in this uh, in this growth journey. What is the one thing you know to be true today that you wish you had known when you started Spot? Yeah, I think um, that element that I just uh, explained is certainly something that I wish mm -hmm. I had known back back in the days. Another element is uh, the element of managing expectations uh, and then also delivering results. So I've become way more cautious with that. Uh, if you compare to the very beginning, free product market fits. I would also always be very careful about uh, business planning. Um, I would no longer make a business plan on a full year. If I would look back, I would do it on a quarter per quarter basis so that you're agile to adapt and, and be very careful about um, expectations. With regards to getting external capital in, not only focus on valuation, but also focus on the terms. Very often, uh, the investor will say, you can choose the valuation if I can choose the terms. So that shows how important the terms are. Like there are a lot of constructions that 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 can bite you in the ass there. <laughs> and like overall, the most important lesson is it's cliche, but it's certainly a fact. It's it's all about the people. Uh, I've had to develop this bullshit radar to be able to attract the right talents and to keep the right talents. And if you see where we stand today, we couldn't be standing where we stand today without having the right people on the team. And that's very much of a cliche. 
but like uh, you cannot do it alone. Uh, even myself, I'm a co-founder. So uh, together with Michelle, the two of us, we don't have all the skills and competencies to build uh, such a company. So you need to surround yourself with people that say you can make part of the team. And with making part of the team, we also talk about uh, warrant plans and, and really making them part of the team. Uh, but like um, people are certainly the most important assets. And that's something that I knew already when I started, but like it became even more uh, clear uh, when uh, during the last six years. Where do you see the company being in the next three to five years? Next for spot, uh, there are lots of things happening at, at this very moment. Like what we see is that with the launch of Instagram shopping and Facebook shopping in May last year in the midst of COVID, due to the fact that Facebook, Instagram, TikTok are now doing, doing the education around possibilities with interactive contents, it's way easier for us to focus on selling because uh, clients are coming to us. They've seen something on Instagram, they see something on TikTok, they see something on Facebook and they want to do the same on their own website or whatever, so they come to us to um, to get some help there. So presence on more platforms, if I understand correctly, is kind of a next step for you? Yeah, not just presence on more platforms, it's uh, being able to deal with this demand, uh, this increased demand, and this increased demand is also creating a dynamic in the market where companies that are doing similar things are starting to look to each other. And so this is also new, so um, I'm expecting a consolidation wave to happen in the coming two to five years. Um, so the question will be, what will be our role in that evolution? Uh, we certainly have the ambition to become the reference in the markets for interactive content. And so strategically, let's say the choice will now be, if that's our ambition, how do we reach that goal? And, uh, and so there are lots of options on the table. The main thing that I wanted to say is that the market today is totally different than the market uh, last year, is totally different than the market uh, before. So it's changing at a tremendous speed. And the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the TikToks of this world are certainly playing a role because they are educating, they are eating the market. I see. So just to kind of wrap up our, our conversation today, imagine there is a 20-something, maybe early 30s marketing manager at a multinational FMCG company somewhere out there, and they are considering leaving to start their own business. Do you talk them out of it? Or do you support them in that decision? I would certainly support them, uh, but I would only support them if the mindsets they are in is the right mindset. In order to become the an entrepreneur, you need to have a growth mindset. It's a concept from Carol Dweck. Satya Nadella is also using the same concept within Microsoft. And it's a concept where you're focusing on impact, not concern. So if you have that mindset, then I would certainly, let's say, advise you, push you, inspire you to go for it and to give, say, 120% of yourself. If I would feel that you don't have the right mindset, I would ask the right questions uh, to actually nudge you into reconsidering uh, that view. Fantastic. A very diplomatic answer, but a very uh, revealing one as well. So, Yunus, thank you so much. I think you had uh, some really interesting insights into the path that you've made in the last uh, six years as the founder and, and co-founder and CEO of uh, Spot. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. And thank you, everybody, for joining me on Line Stories, the Global Startup Podcast. Hope you got inspired again and learned some of the ingredients of a successful global business. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. 